Welcome to the Hoops Royalty Podcast. I'm a very sad King Jemison alongside a possibly sadder Karna Vankatraj. But we're still here bringing you Royal Hoops Takes live from the 901. Of course, if you're watching this, you know the Grizzlies fell by 40 points in Game 6 to lose the series to the Lakers 4-2. to The Grizzlies season is over and we've got a lot of thoughts. We're going to get some of them out here. Let's start with our royal decree on an embarrassing Game 6 performance, Karna. My royal decree is that there's no moral victories. I know our core is young. This season ends as a disappointment. There was a regression in a lot of ways. We had fewer regular season wins. Disparity between home and away splits. We were 35-6 and six at home, but the hallmark of a growing team is not a losing record away. We were 16 and 25 away, comparable with the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Washington Wizards, and the Portland Trailblazers. A growing, maturing team needs a better away record than that. Um, we have the behavioral issues off the court from Ja. I don't want to get too far into that. I think he'll grow from that. I think he will learn from that. We have Dylan Brooks regression. You have a regression in a couple of players. You didn't see Jaron Jackson take that next step. You know, Depoy was a big step forward to him for him, but you kind of want to see more, especially in the playoff series. So no moral victory. The season ends as a disappointment. It's now on the front office, the coaching staff, to improve next year, take a step forward, not just from this year, but from the um, 2021-2022 season, um, where we were actually, in fact, 26-15 and 15 on the road. So that's what I want to see. I want to see the team mature a little bit. Uh, the growing pains kind of subside. And um, we move on and hopefully at least get to the Western Conference Finals next year. That's my prediction. That's my hope. King, what do you think? Stamp it or not? I stamp the no moral victories. And I stamp that with great authority. Because the Grizzlies should not be regressing in what is the fourth year of the John Morant, Taylor Jenkins era, which of course, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been a part of all those years as well. Desmond Bain became a core member last year in his breakout sophomore season. You shouldn't be regressing when your players are getting older and when, in fact, all three of your core players got better in certain ways this year. But as a team, whether because of front office moves in the offseason, whether because of not as good a chemistry whether because it, they were not as focused and the behavioral issues were affecting them on the court too, as a team, they regressed. There's there's no getting around that. Five fewer wins in the regular season is not the end of the world when you still get the two seed, but going out around earlier in the playoffs, being totally uncompetitive in a closeout game, um, and just having these horrible road woes that plagued you throughout the season, that is, that is absolutely um, embarrassing. And there is no moral victory there for the Grizzlies. But I'm going to push back on a couple things, okay? A couple caveats. Number one, you said Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't really improve. i got to push back on that one. This guy last year was an all-defensive first-team player. This year he takes that to Depoy. Um, his blocks per game goes up from 2.3 to 3. And he was, he was a better defensive player. He, he learned to play without fouling. Um, a lot better, particularly in the playoffs where he averaged 37 minutes a game. But he took a big step forward on offense. Last year, Jaron shot 41.5% from the field. Horrible. This year, he shoots 50.6% 50 from the field. 
really good. So he went from a um, low-efficiency offensive player who was really kind of Dylan Brooks-esque. He was helping you on defense but hurting you on offense to a two-way star in probably the most encouraging development of the season for the Grizzlies, even if in the playoffs it wasn't what we had. Yeah, but, but to be clear, I didn't say he didn't improve. I said he didn't turn the corner mm. into being an NBA star. I think, you know, Depoy, yeah, he's a star on that end of the floor. He averaged 18.6 points. And I was I was thinking this in my head as I was kind of just evaluating what I just said. What I expected kind of from him is a 20-plus point per game uh, uh, season, along with maybe eight rebounds. That puts him in the conversation for one of the best big men in the league, um, especially for what he does on the other end of the floor. Maybe it's unrealistic to kind of expect that, but the Grizzlies have been touted as this player development factory. And I think Jaron has definitely developed a lot. And I think there are some positives to be had from this series. Like we were talking about, he plays a lot more minutes. The foul trouble isn't there. Um, He's able to stay on the floor when he's needed. The issue is he still disappeared in some of those moments. So I think he still has a ways to grow. I just want him to make that next step. Right, you know the Grizzlies' window is now. I think we both agree on that. I think without Jaron Jackson being an All NBA guy, right, or at least in that conversation, it's going to be very, very hard for the Grizzlies. And we, where we think their ceiling is, is the Western Conference Finals, maybe a Finals appearance, right, to uh, compete with the guys like Giannis, Anthony Davis, and things like that. So when I say take this next step forward, I don't mean he didn't improve. I mean, he is not still in that conversation with those guys, and I want him to be um, in the next couple of seasons. And he can be. And he can be. I mean, he has the physical tools to be. Yeah, he does. And this year, he did average eighteen point six points per game, seven rebound, six point eight rebounds a game, and yeah. three blocks. Like those are twenty eight next season All NBA numbers. But you're yeah. right. I think you have a team next year that you should probably have three guys averaging twenty plus between yeah. um, Jaw Jaron and Des. But we'll have plenty of time to break down the ramifications of the whole season, thoughts about next season. But let's get into this game a little bit. Karna, there's really not much to say because the Grizzlies jump out to a little lead in the first few minutes. Um, Dylan hit a three. Shocking. But after that, it was just all Lakers. And the Grizzlies never really had a punch. They fall behind by 17 at halftime. You're like, okay, they got a little momentum late in the second quarter. Maybe they can build on that. No, they come out, and by the end of the third quarter, the game is over. They're down by 30-plus. Obviously, the final margin is 40 points. D'Angelo Russell scores 31. Death by D'Lo is maybe the toughest part of this all. Huge. Um, huge. LeBron was very efficient in a way that he hadn't been all series. He had his, his really best performance of the series in low minutes. And then, of course, you had Anthony Davis absolutely dominating. In, in all areas, he was the player of the series. And in this game, Anthony Davis has uh, 16 points, 14 rebounds, five more blocks, was a plus 31 in um, just 28 minutes. LeBron, by the way, plus 32. He was 9 of 13 from the field and scoring 22 points. So for the first time in this series, you had both LeBron and AD being elite in the same game. That's a recipe for losing anyway. It's even more recipe for losing when you have D'Lo going for 31 and the team as a whole just shooting a ridiculous percentage. The Grizzlies allow the Lakers to shoot 54% from the field. And then the biggest problem is the Grizzlies themselves shot 30% 
from the field. A historically yeah. bad shooting game. 85 points in an NBA game in 2023 is Terrible. embarrassing. Yeah. And it raises a lot of questions about the Grizzlies' playoff offense that we need to get into. Yeah. I also want to talk about one thing on the Lakers' side. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, we were like playing a, maybe five, ten feet off this guy. Yeah. And he hit three three-pointers and had nine points. He's plus 19. When guys like that are hitting, that team is just hot. You oh, just, it's totally they, deflating. The the Grizzlies just ran into a buzzsaw. And that it sucked to watch. It sucked to be part of. Um and they just they just ran into a buzzsaw tonight. And and they didn't have enough answers or offensive firepower to kind of mitigate that uh huge onslaught from the Lakers. One thing I wanted to ask you though. You're down 17 at half, I believe, right? Yeah, 59 42, I believe. Yeah, 59 42. You're down 17 and a half. That's not an insurmountable lead not by at any all. means. No. And, and you kind of, you're playing well in that, towards the end of that second half. How much of this is on the coaching staff and Jenkins for not making either? I, I think Jenkins is a very strong basketball mind. Uh, in a lot of senses, even though there's some questionable lineup choices, there is justification for those lineup choices in a lot of sense. How much do you look at this and say, hey, sometimes it's not about, you know, making the light, right lineup rotation. Sometimes it's about being a leader of men. And I know that sounds cheesy and like very much remember the Titans type, but how much do you attribute to, because they just came out flat after the second half, which is not something you see very often from a team that's with their backs up against the wall. Can you talk a yeah. little bit more about that? So let's just look at that third quarter in which the Lakers won the quarter 41-25. So the 25 points for the Grizzlies were the most they scored in any quarter in this game. That's horrible when that's the case. But the, the 41 points from the Lakers is what's really deflating. That was the, the quarter where Jared Vanderbilt got hot. They've been leaving him open all series. He makes them pay in this game. D'Lo hit some really timely shots. And you know LeBron ends the quarter by basically putting the dagger in with a deep, deep three. He finally was able to shoot the ball well from three in this game. I do put some of that on Jenkins. I don't think the Grizzlies should fire Jenkins. No. that's That would be premature. Yeah. Um, you need more data in the playoffs. This is a guy who's grown up alongside John Morant and in this group, and there's a lot of value to be had in that. And when you do see some of the out-of-timeout plays he runs, when you see some of the specific ways in which the Grizzlies continue to succeed in areas such as offensive rebounding, even when they as a team aren't really built to do that anymore. They just continue to get offensive rebounds because that's obviously something that Jenkins emphasizes. And his defensive rotations tend to be excellent. His, his yeah. team seems very well coached defensively. All that being said, I don't think he motivated his players well in this series. They needed to come out way harder in game one than they did. They got punked in game one on their home floor. That could be argued as where they lost the series because they knew they needed to protect home court in this series. They come out after doing all their talking in game three and let the moment in Los Angeles overwhelm them. In game four, they're not able to draw up plays to get um, – they don't probably make the right substitutions to get any spacing late in the fourth quarter in overtime. I definitely put that on Jenkins. And then in this one, you have to come out with such fire in a closeout game. And the players have been saying they liked that Jenkins challenged them after game four. They felt that that propelled them in game five. So maybe he was doing that, but 
he's going to have to adjust how he motivates his team because they they did not show up to this game ready to play. And they probably lose anyway with the way the Lakers played, but putting up 85 points, losing by 40, is unacceptable and, and shows a lack of preparedness and a shrinking from the moment that is troubling and there is a coaching staff story to tell. There, the energy differential between at-home FedEx Forum and away at Crypto Arena is partially part, if not a large part, due to the coaching staff. You know, these guys play with such swag, and, you know, they talk their stuff, and they oftentimes walk the walk as well, but you cannot come to Crypto Arena, lay a huge egg, and not look at the coaching staff a little bit. I don't care that he's, like, a really good basketball mind. I, I think... That's all, not that I don't care. He's a, he's a good basketball mind, and he can coach at a high level. But if you're not motivating a team, especially when they've been punched in the mouth, you're not doing a good service as a coach, right? At a certain point, does, I, I think we get caught up in data and analytics. We love data, and we love analytics. But the 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 point of this is that basketball is still played by humans that have thoughts and emotions, and you have to appeal to that in some way, right? You know, we're teachers. So we deal with a lot of Excel spreadsheets on, on student performance, right? But at the end of the day, building relationships with your students and having an emotional connection with them and motivating them is the best way to get the performance. That's no different than coaching an NBA team, right? You need to be able to have an emotional connection and motivate them at certain times. Halftime of a backs-against-the-wall game was when you needed to do that. You run, into, you run into a buzzsaw, sure, they score 41 points, have a historical shooting performance in that third quarter, but what Jenkins needs to do at half is not only make the right almost academic adjustments or whatever to the to the game, but to make an emotional adjustment for his team. And he didn't do that. And that is scary to see, right? And I think that's something he needs to work on in the offseason. They talk about like being challenged. They're a team that plays with emotion, a team that plays with swag. You need to appeal to that. He didn't do it. He needs to fit into that mold as well. He can either change the whole culture of the team and move away from that, or he can fit into that. And I don't think he did a good job of fitting into that in this game. I love that you say that. So his personality is very different than the people I'm comparing him to here. But if you watch Ted Lasso, he needs to be a little less Nate Shelley and a little more Ted Lasso. Yeah. Focus a little more on the relationships and the motivation. Mm -hmm. And listen, I don't know Taylor Jenkins. We're not in the locker room. We yeah. can't say for sure what he's saying or not saying, but as close observers yeah. of this team, we can say that on the road, they're not the same team, and that bared out in the playoffs. We hoped it was just a regular season, lack of focus thing. It was clearly a team dynamic that they just could not get up for these road games in the same way. Um, they could not match their opponent's energy, and we also see just the way that in certain moments, they seemed unprepared. Yeah. And that even includes at home in game one of this series. Um, and it's not that they were unprepared in terms of their rotations, in terms of their adjustments. He is good in those areas, I believe. There were some substitution issues. Not playing Luke Kennard at the end of game four I, is the most um, prominent example. Yeah. There were those kind of things that, that we're seeing in the X's and O's. But you're right. As teachers, we know that it comes down to the relationships and the motivation mm -hmm. Sounds like they all love him, but there's yeah. there's something missing there in the way they could not show up for game six. On paper, he gets outcoached by uh, Ham, but this is what I'll say. I think, you know, from the X's and O's perspective, I think the Luke Kennard usage was like the biggest red flag or, or a gap between maybe Grizzlies Twitter and what... what um, but even really just Grizzlies fans in general and what yeah. um, Taylor Jenkins was doing. But 
I wanted. I, I think the emotional gap was much more clear this season. Dude, just pick up a tech, man. Third yeah. and fourth quarter, just pick up a tech. They've been calling BS all game. Like, they've been calling BS all series. Pick up one tech. Like, show people that you are invested in these players and show the people that you're invested in the team. We know you are, right? Like, we again, we are not in the locker room. But I think the indication of getting blown out after being down 17 and playing with no energy and no swag, the things that we're used to seeing on court, is a good indication that there wasn't an emotional adjustment. I think, even and even if there was, it didn't work. So, either way... Taylor Jenkins needs to kind of be more emotionally in tune with um, what's going on in the locker room. But kind of transitioning out of that, King, tell me some things, that you, some common themes. I want to focus on that word themes that you saw that went wrong in the series. Yeah, and I want to get to that. Let me wrap up the Taylor Jenkins conversation okay. with this. He will be coaching for his job next season. Mm. He should not be fired this offseason. This guy took a team that was in the lottery, and now has them as the two seed in the West two years in a row. And last year was not a playoff failure. Getting the second round, losing to the to the eventual champs with, with Jaw getting hurt is definitely not a playoff failure. This was a playoff failure, though, and that starts to raise questions about coaching for the reasons we've, we've gone over. And I think it's going to be coaching for his job in the regular season, not just until the end of it. I think, I think that if the Grizzlies get off to a slow start, and we continue to see the road issues, um, continue to see certain guys get more minutes than they should, um, and other guys get stuck on the bench when it's clear their team could use them, then yes, the Grizzlies will will look at making a midseason change, similar to uh, the Hawks in 2021, flipping to make Nate McMillan and then going on a huge run. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because I, I really like Taylor Jenkins, but that is going to be at stake next season. Mm-hmm. Now, for what went wrong in the series, the first thing that we have to go over is the way the Lakers role players just had an unbelievable out-of-body experience and were the reason why the Lakers won this series. Anthony Davis was the best player on the floor. LeBron had his moments. But the real problem here is that you get Rui Hachimura averaging 14.5 points a game on efficient shooting, over 50% from the field, over 50% from three. You have D'Angelo Russell averaging 16.7 points per game and giving you over five assists a game on 37% from three. This guy that totally disappeared from last season's series with the Timberwolves totally showed up in this series. And the games where he was good, he was great. And then Reeves averaged 16 points a game and over five assists and repeatedly uh, broke Grizzlies fans' minds with his flops and getting to the foul line at inopportune times. He really kept them in game four by just flopping and getting the foul line and generating points when the Grizzlies' defense was otherwise dominating. But for all the flopping problems and how we both say we we hate watching Austin Reeves play, he was good in this series. So you had those three guys absolutely doing their jobs and really going above and beyond their jobs. Meanwhile, if you look at the Grizzlies' role players in this series, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and... uh, and Desmond Bain were all good, not great in this series. Um, and we'll go into that more, but you really had nobody else helping them. I thought Xavier Tillman was good, but he's not going to fill it up from a scoring perspective. Luke Kennard didn't get the opportunity to fill it up, but then Tyus Jones, total disappearing act in this series. Um, and Santi Aldama didn't look ready for the moment. David Roddy didn't look ready for the moment. John Conchar, total disappearing act. 
and you needed at least one or two of those guys to be really good to keep up with the Lakers. They never got that, and then, of course, there's the Dylan Brooks of it all, where he was not only not helping you, he was actively <laughs> hurting your team. So yeah. the role players won this series for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I saw John Hollinger wrote that in The Athletic. It's absolutely true that, yeah. that the Lakers' role players were so much better than the Grizzlies' role players, and that was the difference in the series. Yeah, one thing I want to talk about, too, with Rui and uh, Austin Reeves is, like, just beyond the 4.5 points a game, Rui won that first game for them, right? Like, mm-hmm. that was his whole job. And then he shot well in game two, um, and he shot decently in game three. So, like, even though he had kind of a decrease in proficiency as a, as a series went on, mm-hmm. he did his job. He got one game for them under their belt, and that was huge. Yep. Taking that first game at FedEx Forum with their incredible play from their role players, I think was actually a huge momentum shift for the Lakers. So it goes beyond just like, okay, he's shot well, right? He won them one playoff game pretty much single-handedly because I don't believe – I believe Anthony Davis had a good game that game, but um, LeBron did not, and Rui just filled it up from three-point in in that first game. So I I think you have kind of this confounding effect where these guys didn't just score consistently, but – each one right of them, times. yeah. Each one of them had a hot game that, re- especially with in their in the Lakers wins, that really shifted the momentum. Yeah. Um, and and I'm just gonna pull up some Tyus Jones stats real quick before we move off of the role player conversation. Tyus Jones played 20 minutes a game in this series. That's a lot, and it was created by the lack of backcourt depth for the Grizzlies, um, because John Morant was also playing 37 minutes a game. So you saw a lot of those two guys out there at the same time. Tyus averaged 4.5 points per game, 30% from the field, and incredibly, uh, he was he was 15% from three. Yeah. He was worse than Dylan Brooks. And this is two playoff series in a row, going back to last year versus the Warriors, where Tyus Jones has not been the regular season backup extraordinaire um, who can come in and be a very competent starter as well. He just hasn't been able to replicate that in the playoffs. And then, you know, when you look at other Grizzlies role players, David Roddy shoots 27% in this series. Santi Aldama shoots 45%, but when he was out there, the Grizzlies were uh, getting outscored by 38 points. He had the worst plus-minus of yeah. any Grizzlies player. Actually, they sorry, took advantage. That's wrong. Yeah. Dylan Brooks had yeah. the worst plus-minus. He was minus 44. They, Santi Aldama, they took advantage of his lack of physicality. Yeah. yeah. The only good player off the bench for the Grizzlies in this series was Luke Kennard. And he is not overcoming a 40-point deficit in Game 6. But the great what-if in this series is, when Luke Kennard was plus 39, he was, I'm going to check this, the only player who was positive in the plus-minus for this series, for the Grizzlies. And he's big positive. And he's big positive, partially because he wasn't involved in that Game 6 embarrassment. But the big what-if in this series is, what if rather than playing 21 minutes a game, you play Kennard 35 minutes a game. Maybe you get cooked on defense. Maybe these numbers don't hold up. But as we're going to get into, one of the biggest issues in this series was yeah. the lack of spacing created by Dylan effectively forcing and the Grizzlies to play. Let's get into something because uh, we, we'll skip over cold shooting for now and go straight into the disappearing act, which we wrote yeah. down in the planning document. Um, you kind of went over Tyus. I'll talk about it more from an eyes perspective. You went over the stats. Um, the guy looked out of sorts. He was making the wrong passes. He was he just didn't look exactly how t- a veteran point guard should be. So this is my thing. Tyus has been in the league 
now. He played in Minnesota. He's been in playoff series. I really, really don't... Like, you can say Xavier Tillman's 24. Dez is 24. They're all under 25. This, this great core that we have. And there's so much positivity. Tyus is a vet. Like, there's no reason for you to have 20 minutes, 4.5 points a game. Um, I, I don't exactly have the turnover numbers right in front of me, but I, I just don't think he was efficient from that perspective as well. He has eight turnovers. Yeah, which yeah, for him, a 22 to 8 assist to turnover yeah. ratio is horrible. Yeah. Considering and, but, he's usually and, like and over five three, assists. Yeah, he was three to two in that in a, in a, uh, in a, in a winning effort at yeah. the FedEx Forum. So I, I think having Tyus disappear like that was incredibly disappointing. I, I honestly think it's partially because of the rhythm and role that he has in a seven game series as a backup point guard. I don't think it really suits his playing style. Um, that being said, I think we also need to talk about one other disappearing act, and that's Jaron, right? Even though Jaron, you know, he has 18 in this point on 28% from three, 42% from the field, you know, he's getting to those double digits. In those isolations, you know, he, you're more feeling his impact on defense. To win a game like this against Anthony Davis going off and D'Lo going off, you need more from him, right? He disappeared in the last three games. He had that 31-point game performance in game one. He ne- we never really saw kind of a dominating performance from him again. You expect more in the playoffs. Um, I think for a fact, if you know, we, he's part of this young core that, that can really do a lot. He needs to be alive in this series at all times um, against a star in Anthony Davis. Um, and that was a matchup that we talked about as like our X factor to begin the uh, year. Um, so that being said, I think Jaron dis- uh, kind of has a disappointing series. Yeah, Dez- and, and I'm going to just build on the Jaron thing real okay. quick. It's also worrying to me that in the playoffs, you have John Morant averaging 21 field goal attempts per game. Okay, good. Desmond Bain averaging 19 game. field goal attempts per game. And then Jaron's all the way down there at 13.8, right next to Dylan, who's at 12.8. Yeah. You need Jaron to be closer to the Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, John Morant field goal attempts way above Dylan Brooks and everybody else. So, you know, they, they weren't running as much offense through him. And whether that's because he wasn't able to put himself in the same yeah. isolation positions or because they just didn't have confidence in him, I don't know. But you're right. Jaron did disappear in the road games. All three yeah. of the road games in this series, he was bad. And more concerningly, his defense was not depoy level in the playoffs and i think that's going to be something the grizzlies are going to have to adjust to is like how can we take this monster who erased offenses throughout the regular season and unleash him in the same way in the playoffs without fouling out i think anthony davis sent a message to jerry jackson (laughs) and that's it you're not the real depoy i'm the real depoy i can affect games i can affect games and impact games because what we're about to talk about directly relates to anthony davis's kind of masterful performance in the interior defense which is a lack of spacing yeah you know dylan dylan brooks is a black hole on offense we've talked about it since game three yeah or actually game one if we're being honest fourth most field goal attempts on the team shooting 31 percent from the field 24 percent from the three i don't understand how you justify him have being on the floor for as many minutes as he does other than the fact that he's a defensive stalwart i guess but LeBron also is the highest averaging scorer in this series. For the Lakers. For yeah. the Lakers. Um, so I don't know if you can really make that adjustment. It definitely doesn't offset the black hole that you have on offense. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this. They pa- The Lakers clearly just packed the paint, wait for John Moran to drive. 
Um, and that's the effect of this is compounded by cold shooting from the Grizzlies. 31% from three-point, um, 40% worse field goal percentage. Um, you know, we just have cold shooting from the Grizzlies. So we have these two kind of compounding effects, the lack of spacing and the inability for the Grizzlies to punish the Lakers yeah. for the lack uh, for packing the paint. Um, talk more about that, uh, uh, King. Let's just look at Game 6, which I know is an outlier in how bad the Grizzlies were. But in Game 6, the Grizzlies shot 8 of 15 at the rim, 3 of 24 from short mid-range, um, 4 of 29 for all mid-range attempts. Like Anything that wasn't a 3 was getting highly contested, and the Grizzlies were usually missing. There was the stat that I believe in the first half, the Grizzlies were 3 of 19 when Anthony Davis contested the shot um, in Game 6. He completely changed the game with his interior defense, but he was allowed to do that because he could just sit in the paint. Yeah. By the way, the ref let them do that too. They, there needed to be defensive three seconds called on way more possessions to at least force him to take another step yeah. out of the paint. But they knew that Dylan Brooks wasn't a threat, and that's not always been the case. Dylan sometimes is a decent shooter. He was just a terrible shooter this playoffs and for most of the season. Yep. And... They also knew that the, the less they guarded him, the more it got in his head. And he just completely buried himself. So that's why Luke Kennard was plus 39 in this series, while every other Grizzlies player was in the negatives, because his spacing unlocked everything for this offense. Yeah, You saw all the Lakers' bigs have to take another step out. You saw the defense get spread out, and then... The advantage we thought the Grizzlies had all along with John Morant and Desmond Bain's ability to get to the basket was available. It was it was unlocked, um, and they were dominating the game just because you had a shooter on the floor. And this goes to the biggest conversation for the offseason. Will the Grizzlies bring Dylan back? We both think they won't. We'll get into that more next week. But like, how can they get more shooting out of their current roster, or do they need to go add even more? You know, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. are better three-point shooters than they showed in this playoffs. Desmond Bain is still one of the best shooters in the league. Um, but you need role players to knock down shots. Yeah. Santi Aldama is getting there. He was an okay three-point shooter this season. Tyus Jones in the regular season was an okay three-point shooter. But you need a couple more guys who can just go out there, give you 20 minutes, regular season or playoffs, and create space for your offense. Because your defense held up okay, if we're being honest, against the Lakers. Your lead guards were able to uh, generate offense anytime they had an inkling of space. The problem is they didn't get that space very often. And so I think the Grizzlies need to look at adding some, some veterans. Um, veterans that don't disappear. Veterans that don't disappear and adding just general three-point shooting because yeah. – it is clear that John Morant and Desmond Bain are on the way to being the best backcourt in the NBA. But if teams can continue to pack the paint, you're significantly decreasing their effectiveness. Yeah. You might even have to take a slight step back on defense to take a major leap forward on offense. Yeah, so the, yeah, like, like I was saying, if you if you can't punish a team for packing the paint, you'll lose every time. With yeah. this, how, the, how the team is constructed right now, you will lose every time. And they... The Lakers' game plan was executed perfectly. It yeah. just was. It was crazy how effective they were and how discombobulated 
the Grizzlies looked as a result of the packing the paint, right? Yeah. Jaw couldn't get going in any meaningful way in this game, shooting like 19% or something like that. Yeah. Um, they really emphasized the interior defense. Anthony Davis made, us, made himself felt. The thing is, you need veterans who can shoot in big moments. They didn't have that, and they lost because of it. You need to punish the, you need to punish the Lakers for packing the paint. Cold shooting doesn't do that. It does the opposite. It rewards them. If you create an incentive structure where you reward the team that you're playing against for packing the paint, taking away your biggest advantage, right, you're going to lose every single game. But as we wrap up this podcast, I want to talk about being a fan of a team. Yeah. And ask you a simple question. What's worse, a blowout or a last-minute loss to end a series? Let's end on that. That cheery note. So the Grizzlies lost this series in Game 4. That was the game that they had on the road. We The writing was really on the wall when you face a 3-1 deficit to LeBron James, even if you get a nice Game 5 win at home. If you have to go to Crypto.com Arena facing elimination, LeBron is going to give his best effort of the series. You're If you can't get those Lakers role players cold at the start, they're going to be playing with confidence in front of a home crowd. The Grizzlies were toast yesterday. Um, particularly the moment Luke Kennard was ruled out due to his shoulder injury. By the way, did LeBron break the code there? He, bro- he absolutely broke the code. He, he did break the code. Okay. So so there you go. Second year in a row where... Uh, he hurt that man on purpose. He, yeah, he did. He, he, he stuck a chicken wing out. I don't want to talk about he, that. Though. He, he, was, he was tired of, yeah. of watching Luke unlock the Grizzlies offense. He yeah, said, I'm going to lock you up myself. Yeah. But anyways, game four was the one they had where the Lakers did not bring the same level of intensity... The Grizzlies did in the second half, but they couldn't close. That was the biggest heartbreak. I honestly was embarrassed yesterday, but at least we didn't have to go through excruciating final moments where the Grizzlies are close but can't yeah. close thanks to LeBron. Um, I don't know. I, I I think it would have like a, like a t- fifteen to twenty point loss would have been yeah. better. Forty points though, this just brings up like a I, whole another yeah. set of questions like. That, we need to tear down the whole thing. That's my and point no, about Taylor Jenkins. Is like that 40, 15 to 20 is like you get beat by a better team. Yeah. 40 is like you didn't come to play. Yeah. There was no emotion behind how you did, like how, how you were adjusting. There was no emotion at the half. Like that's a pro- 40 points is a problem. Let, let's maybe yeah. let's maybe give one piece of positivity here. That 40 point margin is going to be written in the Grizzlies' weight room, their I, locker room. I hope it is. For the entire offseason. I do expect that the way they lost this game will will turn into more of a positive than a close loss. Because a close loss, you're heartbroken. You say, ah, what if we just, you know, maybe if Luke Kennard was available. But in this one, you're like, no, we weren't good enough. We have a long way to go. We all have to put in the work. And it prompts the front office to make more changes. I believe in John Morant's internal competitiveness enough. But you know who's going to, the external, like, factor in this is T. Morant. If I'm Team Morant, be on him. and I'm like, and from all the stories we hear about Team Morant, I'm calling Ja every day and be like, 40 point loss, click, <laughs> like every single time. Well, that all guy- he has to do is step out of his driveway. <laughs> yeah. They live, they live across the road. Yeah. It's gonna be getting the getting the morning mail and and just be like, hey Ja, remember you lost by 40 <laughs> yeah. in the elimination game. So I, I think it'll be in the weight room. I think these guys are gonna come back hungry next year. They talked a lot of mess. They got beat bad. The, LeBron is on Instagram, on Twitter, talking mess right now. If I'm them, I'm printing out that tweet, putting it on a poster board, putting it up in the weight room. I'll see y'all next year. And I want to I want to see Ja bust that, you know what, every single time we see the Lakers. And you got to play with emotion in a way that 
you, that's, I think, the next step. is like, you got to not just play with swag when you're at home in the FedEx Forum and whoop that trick is playing. You got to play with swag even when you're down. You see Jimmy Butler. He's down six. He's talking trash. And then he wins the game. Like, these, that's the type of swag that I want to see next year. Is like, if you're going to talk that stuff, you got to talk it at all times. You got to keep that same energy wherever you are, whenever you are. So, I, I, but I, to answer this question, I'll take the last minute loss. What makes sports fun is the yelling and the, and the, you know, being there and the, the your heart rate increasing. This was just such a bummer to end yeah. the season on. Um, and to, I guess, leave you guys on a positive note, the core is young. We will be back next year. Both the Hoops Royalty podcast and the Grizzlies will be back next year. So stay tuned, guys. So, and we will be back quite a bit for the rest of this playoffs, talking yeah. general NBA. Believe it or not, we do have takes on the rest of the NBA, <laughs> and we will be watching. And I'm still excited about the playoffs, still excited to chop it up with you. But, yeah. man, you got me fired up thinking about Dude, how yeah, hard the Grizzlies are going to work this offseason. Yeah. But <laughs> that's it for us at the Hoops Worldly Podcast. We continue to bring you Royal Hoops takes live from the 901, and we'll see you this week with some general Grizzlies wrap-up and some thoughts on the rest of the playoffs. Have a great rest of your, Peace, guys. Uh, your off season, guys. We're going and big night on bourbon tonight. Go Grizz always. Yeah.